I'm JP Tuesday. And I'm Kiki Cannon. As lifelong Disney fans, the work of countless talented Disney creatives have shaped our lives. Now, as the Disney catalog expands, we're taking a journey through film and television to discover if that spark that shaped us as children lives on in adulthood. Does your favorite Disney media still cast that same spell? Join us as we find out. We are Rewatching the Magic. May the 4th be with you, Kiki. May the 4th be with you, Tuesday. And may the 4th be with all of our listeners on this Star Wars day. And uh, as we do every year, we are doing a Star Wars-themed episode. This time, we are diving into mostly uncharted territory, as far as we're concerned. The animated shows of Star Wars. The Clone Wars, the show that takes place between episode two and three. And it took me a very long time to get into this show. I still have not seen every episode, but I've seen a lot of the more important episodes. uh, Mostly because I was a really big fan of Gendy Tarakovsky's Clone Wars cartoon, if you remember that. I was a big fan of uh, of his cartoons, still am. And, you know, I didn't like the fact that that show was now essentially going to be decanonized and replaced with this CG show. And it looked like they were using most of the same uh, designs and style as the as the uh, 2D Clone Wars series, but turned into 3D and it doesn't always translate well. I'm going to be honest. That was one of my biggest turnoffs was like the 2D models did not transfer well into 3D. That was honestly and still is the biggest issue for me. I did not want to see it when it came out because I was like, you know, I don't really want to see non-canon Star Wars stuff. And now they're kind of making all these characters really important characters in the main Star Wars canon. Yeah, they they brought back so many of the characters, not only in the Clone Wars cartoon, but in the Rebels cartoon, bringing them into live action. You know, we saw, we've seen Bo-Katan and Ahsoka show up in The Mandalorian, and now Ahsoka's getting her own show. And the Rebels crew is going to be in that show. So, yeah, that's kind of why we're doing the animated shows now. As more of a uh, refresher slash introduction of these characters before we get into the Ahsoka show. Yeah, and the interesting thing is, though, is that we we talked kind of before just between the two of us about how difficult it was for me to accept these as properly canon mostly because it really this you know a lot of people complain that disney threw away the eu clone wars did it first 
Well, it wasn't just that. I I had long wanted the the EU to become properly canon um, back when I was reading them, back when I was a teenager. And you can say, like, well, then they were considered canon because they weren't making any movies and everything. But even at the point when they were kind of the official canon of Star Wars, you would only really find the most kind of hardcore, annoying Star Wars nerds kind of being like, well, this is the canon and you should know it, you know. The others of us who wanted it to be officially recognized wanted it to be officially recognized on screen. Okay, we wanted other people to know it because here's the thing. I think a lot of people understand that whenever some whatever format something starts in is kind of the most important part of the canon. You know, if it starts as a live action property, whatever happens in live action is probably the most important thing, you know? Mm. If it starts as a book series, the book series is probably the most important thing, you know? Um, so there are understandings like if it then crosses over into another format, you have to be very careful to bring something from that original format over. Like, it was very important that when the MCU was like, hey, we want to do official TV shows now that are, like, really super official, we're bringing characters from the movies into the TV shows. And we're giving characters from the movies their own TV shows. So that when you then start giving characters who never appeared in the movies their own TV shows, the audience understands these have the same weight. And then when you start doing animated stuff, you have as many of the original actors doing their own voice as you can, so that if you then have to replace one or two actors for whatever reason, the audience still understands that, like, okay, we might not have been able to get to the, the original actor, but this is still that same character, and this still holds that same weight. Which we kind of don't get in Clone Wars. We get a few. Yeah. I mean, we get, like, the the the, the, tri- uh, no, the tertiary character. You get, you know, Anthony Anthony Daniels as 3PO, and, and Amhead Best as Jar Jar, but the main characters are not played by the original actors. But you're not going to get Ewan McGregor to do a cartoon. But yeah, I mean, it it was kind of sad that there's they're doing these things and it's kind of like, you know, this is a big Star Wars project and it's done for seven-year-olds at Saturday mornings. Cartoon when, Network, yeah. You know, which 
I'm not saying you can't do that, you know? There, you know, there's a Star Trek show now that's made for the exact same kind of, you know, demographic on Nickelodeon. And it's a great show. But it's still the way they treated this show at the beginning and the way it was marketed was kind of like, yeah, it's set in that time period and everything, and it's got some of the same characters, but you really don't have to pay attention to it. So there were a lot of us that didn't really pay attention to it. And here's this annoying kid character that is Anakin's apprentice. And now she's got her own TV show. Yeah, and and a very compelling storyline when you look back on it. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've seen enough of the episodes to... To, to Ahsoka's story is amazing, and I hope we get a chance to talk about it at, at some point. Yeah, no prom, no promises. <laughs> but the the thing is, is that when this first came out, it just didn't seem as compelling. I think to a lot of fans, because I know a lot of fans who only went back and watched it in hindsight. Like when it moved to Netflix for that for season six after after the buyout after Cartoon Network had canceled the show, that's where uh, people discovered the show. A lot of the older fans discovered the show, and yeah, and they found that you know, hey, these aren't bad stories; these are pretty good. But gonna be real, that movie, you know which one I'm talking about? That Clone Wars movie. Not good, and it turned off a lot of people. Cause no one really cares about Jabba the Hutt's son. I'm sorry, <laughs> no one cares that Jabba the Hutt's son gets kidnapped or what happens to him. That is yeah. the plot of the movie. <laughs> no one cares. <laughs> but the the thing is, though, is that it it really is kind of interesting because I I was put off by this for so many reasons, you know, that the animation looked cheap and slapped together. Um, even, I mean, I'm just going to go ahead and say it, even watching during the, the watch for the podcast, I had to contact you a lot of times and go, who is this character supposed to be? Yeah, yeah, the, they didn't have the rights to the actors' likenesses, so they had to make do. And again, these are based off the Tetakovsky's drawings, his art style, that Samurai Jack art style he used for the for the 2003 cartoon. And yeah, we get this long face, not Christopher Lee, Count Dooku, and this generic-looking Padme. The only reason but we know... The only reason you know it's it's Obi-Wan is because he has a beard. Well, and the, the voice alike for Obi-Wan is very good. The the actor at least gets that kind of James Arnold he, Taylor, great voice actor. Yeah, I mean he, he gets that that same kind of you know, I mean he's going more for the Ewan McGregor Obi-Wan, of course, but he does kind of match that same cadence and rhythm and accent um likewise cory burton as as count dooku that christopher lee impression is 95 percent spot on 
Yeah, and and eventually, as I heard him talk more, I was like, okay, I can I can hear what what he's going for. Um, but you know, it, it's interesting how some of the some of the characters are so spot on to the human actors. Like Bail Organa looks exactly like Jimmy Smith's. Mm. You know, you'd you'd know that character just from, you know, the face, a close up of the face. But a lot of them you would never guess what actor that is supposed to be based on. Um, despite the fact that the actors have very recognizable faces. Mm. Uh I don't particularly think that the Anakin Skywalker bears much resemblance either. Um when you're when you're talking about, you know, Hayden Christensen, I I don't think it it looks much like him. But the um the thing is is that, you know, the voice actors for the most part do an excellent job at trying to sound like the the actors from the films um the ones that they bring in as new characters all do an excellent job um yeah, yeah. one of those new characters bo-katan Kreese, a character that we have seen many times in the mandalorian yeah i mean you can't really hate on katie sackoff i was already a, a fan of hers from you know other things yes and her already voicing the character in in clone wars added to people wanting to see the actor play the live action character because uh where we are in the mandalorian katie sackoff is the right age to play that character since she's supposed to be teenage ish age in clone wars yeah and we just found out because they just announced the casting for the ahsoka series that they're basically going to do that in the Ahsoka series with the actors from Rebels. Not all of them. I mean, not not entirely, but as many as they could feasibly cast, uh, they will bring over to play the live action versions of their characters. Um. So quite a few of the characters that they are bringing over sadly not ahsoka herself who was already uh recast yeah um for the for the um mandalorian i mean we are um, getting like like mary elizabeth winstead is playing hera in the series in the ahsoka series vanessa marshall played her in rebels but uh, I mean, we're getting Filoni back playing Choppa, so I'm okay with that. And of course, they're bringing Lars Mikkelsen back to play the live-action version of Thrawn, uh, which he voiced in the series. Mm-hmm. Um, interestingly, a lot of people had been wanting his brother Mads Mikkelsen, who is the more famous live-action actor, to uh, play him. But uh, it turns out that. Uh, Nope, they're just they're just gonna keep Lars. So uh, they've we've on, we've uh, only seen one still picture of him in the full makeup, and he looks pretty good. Um, 
but yeah, you know, they're they're bringing they're bringing over as many as they they can um as far as who who will fit the the actual look. I mean, when we saw Cad Bane in the book of Boba Fett, that was uh Corey Burton as Cad Bane who played him in Clone Wars. We we even had that when we saw the the son of you know one of the characters in today's episodes um in the Mandalorian uh when we go from Previsla to Pazvisla um they're both voiced by John Favreau yeah um and i think i think though that Pazvisla in the most recent series they stopped having John Favreau voice him and just let the actor that provided the body uh movements also voice him for and, the yeah. the most recent season. Yeah, and, and and Paz has a son, so that actor, that character would be an adult if we get these uh Daisy Ridley Ray movies off the ground. Maybe we can get John Favreau to play him too. <laughs> keep the keep the tradition going. Might be interesting. Three three generations of Vizels. But I'm, yeah, I'm just I mean, putting it out there in the world. <laughs> uh, it is uh, it is kind of kind of cool that they're they're doing that, especially since voice actors don't frequently have the ability to uh do much on camera work. Um, I I think that if they if they want to and they're capable of it, they should sometimes you know get the chance i just wanted to say that that there were a lot of things that originally put put me off of this series and having seen it some of them are still valid critiques some of them were less valid i think after having seen several episodes yeah we we can kind of get into that as we we talk about it Mm-hmm. But we having having just finished uh, season three of the Mandalorian and having seen more Mandalorian stuff <laughs> on Disney Plus, we kind of wanted to go back and look at where some of these story arcs kind of got started. Yeah, so we are focusing on the Mandalorian storylines from Clone Wars. Uh, if for those of you who wanted us to tackle other stories, we may get to those at a different time. But for right now, since we just got off Man- the Mandalorian, we're still on that Mandalorian high. So let's go back to Mandalore. Uh, the episodes we chose, uh, honestly, I picked, uh, I originally had a longer list, and we were not going to be watching like 20 episodes just for this podcast. So, um, thanks to Disney Plus themselves. Uh, if you go into the Star Wars section and scroll down, there is a little line saying Return to Mandalore, which has a bunch of episodes about the Ma- the Mandalore culture. So, and there is s- seven episodes from the Clone Wars are put there. We watched six of them. And uh, we're going to be talking about that. Uh, we're going to kind of jump around here. So the episodes we're watching are Season 2, Episode 12, The Mandalore Plot. Season 4, Episode 14, A Friend in Need. 
Season 5, Episode 15, Shades of Reason. Season 5, Episode 16, The Lawless. And skipping all the way to Season 7, Episode 9, Old Friends Not Forgotten. And Season 7, Episode 10, The Phantom Apprentice. I, I just did want to warn people that uh, even though we're focusing on the Clone Wars, since we are talking Mandalorians and uh, characters like Bo-Katan... We cannot guarantee that spoilers from season three of Mandalorian might not slip in here and there. So if you're not caught all the way up on Mandalorian season three, gotta warn you. So here's your uh, chance to get off the ride and come back later uh, if that's uh, a possible spoiler town for you. So the biggest change from Legends into the Clone Wars was the Legends didn't really have a centralized uh, hierarchy or government of Mandalore. It was all warrior people and they were just fighting each other. And here in the Mandalore plot, we see that there is in fact a governing body of Mandalore and there is a leader, a duchess, Satine Kreez. And who wants to keep Mandalore neutral in the Clone Wars and has changed Mandalore from a warrior culture to that of pacifism, which is not very popular among certain sections of the Mandalore people. As we will find out in The Mandalorian, weapons are religion and being a warrior is part of the creed and all that. So to have a a leader say, you know what, we're, we're, we're going to be pacifists now, at least during this war. Yeah, you, I, I can see why that, that would rub a few people the wrong way. Yeah, I mean, we, we see later in uh, The Mandalorian um, that people refer to Mandalorian armor and weaponry as a big part of their culture and their desire to carry weapons every everywhere and to have their armor on as an intrinsic part of their culture mm -hmm. that should be respected you know almost like a religious symbol that's how i kind of thought of satine's taking them into pacifism that it was almost like changing their religion it would be like the klingons in star trek becoming pacifists you know yeah when has that ever happened um <laughs> speaking of spoilers for a different show um <laughs> but yeah so that's that's kind of how i how i saw satine's reign when i first came across the the death watch in Clone Wars, I was like, well, they're not wrong, but they are jerks. Yeah. You know? You could kind of feel for them, but maybe not necessarily for their tactics. And definitely not their choice of allies. Yeah, we'll get to him later. <laughs> <laughs> but also, uh, there's, 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 um, there's a past here. Uh, Satine has a past with Obi-Wan. 
Now we did not. I mean, that's a hell of a past, and I do not blame her one bit. We didn't really go. We did not go into the episodes that really go into their past, but the signs are there, at least in this one episode that uh, Satine and Obi Wan had a relationship at one point. Now we don't go into the episodes, but the short version is, yeah, 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 they, they, they had a thing. And Obi-Wan was considering leaving the Jedi Order to be with her. But uh, both of them were bound to their duty and just did not uh, pursue their, continue their relationship. Although what a different universe that would have been if Obi-Wan had left the Jedi Order before even meeting Anakin. See, love saves Obi-Wan. If you'd have just left and been with the woman you loved, all of that evil could have been prevented. He would have stayed on his sand planet. (laughs) Nothing would have happened. Well, I mean, you know, Qui-Gon probably still would have gone there and, and, you know, taken him off the sand planet and everything, but... Once Qui-Gon was dead and everything, that there'd have been nobody to train him. They would have just been like, well, that was Qui-Gon's weird little experiment. You want to go home to your mom, kid? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And everyone lived happily ever after. This is skipping a bit, but Satine does have a nephew named Corky. And there is a fan theory that Corky is not Satine's nephew. That the that that Satine and Obi Wan's relationship was consummated, and Corky is the result of that consummation. Now they have never said anything about this officially. Dave Filoni has denied this, but is it it is a popular fan theory that Corky is in fact the son. Of Satine and Obi Wan. What is your opinion on on that, on that theory? Well, you know, I have heard this theory so much before, and not just three seconds ago when you just said it. <laughs> so I have a whole lot of theories on this. Um, first of all, I do not understand Mandalorian naming conventions at all. We have Satine. And her sister, Bo-Katan. And their nephew, Corky. So, Mandalorian naming conventions are very consistent and make all of the sense in the world to me. Bo-Katan is funny because... Props to Filoni, because Bo-Katan is actually named after his wife's cat. Because... See, that makes sense to me. Because Dave Filoni's wife is named Anne, and she had a cat that she called Bogey. So, Bo Cat of Anne becomes Bo Katan. Well, I mean, if you're going to have like a really tenacious fighter woman in your show, you're going to name it after your wife's cat. Dave Filoni's a big wife guy props well also just cat (laughs) i mean have you ever met uh, any cat ever yes Yes. (laughs) so you know 
<laughs> Makes sense. Bo-Katan does have very, very cat-like energy. So, <laughs> um, the the thing is, though, is that I uh, would think that it would be cool for that theory to be true. I'm not sure if it would be appropriate to reveal that on a show made for seven-year-olds. Mm. So I can see why, like, that never came up. If in, like, season four of The Mandalorian or something, there's <laughs> some foundling <laughs> that has grown up after the purge is, like, the first Mandalorian with force powers or something. <laughs> I mean, I mean, Mandalorian Jedi exists. That's where the dark saber comes from. We ha we haven't touched that. Well, yet. they 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 used to, but then the Mandalorians and the Force users did not have a good time. <laughs> so I could probably see him being maybe the first, you know, Force using Mandalorian born in many generations. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Mm. Um, I mean, we even see in the episodes we watch where they show Ahsoka that, like, nice little anti-Force user cage they built. Yeah. When they're like, yeah, Mandalorians don't really trust Force users, so we keep a whole bunch of anti-Force cages around. Also, a, a little bit of a, a, a shout-out to Jango Fett, because, uh... Obi-Wan does say, I ran into a Mandalorian named Jango Fett. He is not a Mandalorian. <laughs> yeah, that was the thing is, like, this this show also kind of pissed me off because Boba Fett was, like, you know, that's the Mandalorian. <laughs> that's, like, the only Mandalorian we ever met for up until the prequels. Mm -hmm. When we met Jango Fett you know, clone father of Boba Fett, which, if you remember, wildly pissed off the fandom when that happened. Yep. So, you know, for like 25 years or whatever, Boba Fett is like the only Mandalorian unless he read some of the books. And so everybody's just like, yeah, Mandalorian, that's what Boba Fett is. And then all of a sudden, I said something one day to, like, somebody about Boba Fett, and they were like, he's not a Mandalorian. And I was like, he's literally the only Mandalorian in canon. And they are like, no, he's not. He, like, stole that armor, and he's not real, and he's just a crappy clone. And, like, they got mad at me. Like, I just got yelled at by, like, someone for saying Boba Fett. I was like, where are you getting that garbage from? And they're like, it's in the cartoons. And I'm like, okay, well, first off, F those cartoons. And second off, yay Boba Fett. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's, it's a bit of a contentious issue. And, I mean, that also kind of semi-retconned in, in, in the book of Boba Fett. And in the Mandalorian, where 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 Boba Fett sees himself as a foundling, I can I can kind of see that a little bit more. You know, mm -hmm. it feels really 
I don't know. It feels a little crappy of Filoni mm. to, to kind of like be like, hey, you know that only Mandalorian that anybody knows? I'm just going to like completely write him out of canon and be like, hey, all of the other Mandalorians hate him. Um, The guy that gave us all we know about Mandalorians, let's let's just crap on him, you know? Mm-hmm. Because um, I'm like, it's not Boba Fett's fault that George Lucas decided to write a crappy movie, you know? Like, <laughs> you could at least, you know, marry those two ideas and be like, well, at some point during the Clone Wars, Boba Fett did something awesome that made the Mandalorians be like, okay, your dad's kind of whatever, but we accept you, you know? Now he's just going to be a kid bounty hunter. <laughs> That's a different storyline we didn't cover. (laughs) I mean, you had all the ways in the world to go with that, and you went with the one Mandalorian isn't actually a Mandalorian. Kind of weak sauce, in my opinion. Still love the Mandalorians, though, as a concept. Yeah. So, yeah, the whole point of that first episode is the, the Republic wants... Mandalore on their side and Mandalore is like, no, we're, we're going to stay neutral on this. We're not we're not going to get involved. And then there's Death Watch who wants to kill the, the wants to kill Satine because she's, you know, hey, we're not going to be pacifists anymore. We, we got to get back to our warrior roots. And we get Pre Vizsla voiced by John Favreau. And Vizsla plays the long game in these episodes. Like, he plays a long game, since this is over several seasons, this is over several years, playing the long game till he gets his his seat as the leader of Mandalore. And Favreau does a great job here voicing Pre Vizsla. Like, just making him, uh, pardon my language, for the youngins who listen to this show, cover them up, parents... He's a rat bastard, and I love him for it. <laughs> yeah, he is kind of kind of awesome because you know in that first episode, Satine and Obi Wan show up, and immediately you know she's like, "Oh yes, we have to go over to the moon where we sent all the people we don't like," which is always a good idea. Can we just point out what a great idea that is? Yeah, we're gonna. Word. We're gonna uh, exile all the people we don't like to some crappy-ass moon. It's like, no, no, no. That's not what you do with them. You, like, keep them around. Kind of, you know, just prevent them from, like, joining together as a collective. Because what happens when those people have kids? Then those people are gonna be like, hey, you wanna know why we're on this crappy-ass moon? Because those people on the big old planet over there hate us. Why don't you grow up hating them and seeking their downfall? Let's teach you how to fight so you can do that. Like, no, you you keep those people around. You, like, you know, feed them well. You put their kids in the good school. Eventually they'll be like, why did you ever hate those people, mom and dad? I don't know. Have some more cake. Like, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, send them to the crap moon to hate you for five generations. That's the way to a civil war right there, Satine. 
I mean, I know she wasn't in charge of sending them to the moon in the beginning, but, you know. She didn't do anything to rectify that once she became into power, though. Yeah, I know. I mean, she was just like, hey, let's not worry about the moon of Haterade over there. <laughs> and it, it does, I mean, as these episodes go on, we do get to the Mandalorian Civil War, where the Death Watch is like, yeah, we're going to just take over this planet now. Yeah, but I mean, they get to that moon at first, and they're like, let's go over and talk to the planet of Hater Moon, and like, you know, they and get there, leader. and it's like, it's like, oh, let's look at the governor. I'm sure that he's not in any way horrible, and he takes off his mask, and it's like, hi, I'm Governor Evil. Like, oh, really? You are? Didn't see that one coming. And it's yeah. like, here's our completely non-functional death minds. And Obi-Wan's like, really? Can I look at your non-functional death minds? I'd rather you didn't. think I'm going to do it anyway. Oh, look, completely functional death minds. What a surprise. Oh, Obi-Wan, you always got to get yourself into trouble. And Anakin isn't here to kick to save your butt this time. Well, fortunately, Satine apparently is. Yeah, she may be a pacifist, but that doesn't mean she doesn't know how to fight. Yeah, and then she gets mad at him. I love I love that scene of the elevator where he's like, for a pacifist, you sure throw a nice punch. And she's like, for a guy dedicated to peace, you're sure really happy that I broke that guy's jaw. And he's like, did you not miss the part where I was almost crushed to death by machinery? <laughs> yeah, like, oh, a lover's quarrel if there ever was one. <laughs> yeah. Why don't you two get together and go make a kid named Corky? <laughs> you know, they, they eventually get away and all that stuff, and Death Watch is a thing, and we do skip the next couple of episodes, but uh, Satine does go to Coruscant to plead her case to the Senate that, hey, we are not connected to Death Watch. De whatever Death Watch does is not connected to us. And we also find out that Death Watch is working for Count Dooku. So... They're with the Separatists. So what the Death Watch does is all Separatist stuff. Mandalore is neutral. We, we, we don't want any problems. Yeah. Here's the, here's the problem with, with this whole thing and the Separatists. Is that, you know, I never watched this series, so I don't really know what the, the Separatists were all about. Mm -hmm. But we actually in the third season of The Mandalorian see a planet that was a Separatist planet. And it's kind of the only really chill working planet. Like, they're like, we're the last independent planet that was neither, like, Empire or Republic. And, like, yeah, we kind of halfway allied with the Republic but we're still independent and it's like a perfect utopian planet except for one dude who's just kind of mad for no real reason I mean it, it, it's Queen Lizzo and King Jack Black it's awesome yeah but I mean like their entire government structure and everything like if you're if you're if you're trying to be like well, this isn't the way to be they kind of screwed that plot line up cuz that planet looks awesome i want to yeah, go they... live on 
Planet Lizzo because Planet Lizzo looks like absolute paradise. Plus, you get Queen Lizzo, so what's what's you know that that's awesome. But yeah, yeah, no one has to work unless they want to. No one has to do you know they're they're free to use their time to do what they want to do. If they want to go into the arts or whatever, they can do that. And then the droids will do the work. And the droids want to do the work. Like, we we want to work for these people. We, you know, this is our, you know, if no one is working, we'll work. We'll do the job. We're cool with this. Well, they- I mean, it's, it's, a little, it's a little more nuanced than that. Because, like, the droids actually have freedom there. Mm-hmm. They're not working for, like... Nobody there is working for like a wage or anything. They're working at things they want to do. There are still restaurants and bars and stuff, and there there don't seem to be enough droids to like man all of them. And we do see humans and other sentient alien races doing things, but they also just don't seem to be doing things because they have to do things. They seem to be doing things because they want to do the things. Yeah, well, which is still work, you know. Yeah. But it's not like enforced labor or labor for survival. Yeah. And the other reasons that the droids say they want to work there is because on that planet they're working and they're not being disassembled or put out of commission like they're allowed to live lives and very very long lives yeah these are ex clone wars droids that and they're not warriors they're not being shot at they're not being you know they're not being yeah. shot at by clones or jedi and they're constantly being maintained and cared for and we see them walking the streets and talking to each other and having social lives and stuff like that like they're being treated like the sentient beings they are Instead of just like property. On that great segue, let's talk about a friend in need. Yeah. So, a friend in need, the first appearance of Bo Katan. We get our, uh, this is the first story we're going to be talking about with Ahsoka. And yeah, Ahsoka is accompanying Padme to the first, uh, I guess, conference between representatives of the Republic and representatives of the Separatists. The first attempt at a peace talk. Yeah, that went about as well as... Uh, we've seen the result of it. We know how well this the, these talks went through. So, And, of course, they picked Space Switzerland, which is Mandalore. Yeah. We also get a character that has been in the show before that we are going to be talking about for the first time here. Uh, Lux Bonteri. Lux Bonteri, his mother, was a member of the Separatists. Was um, killed by Count Dooku for even suggesting, hey, maybe these Republic guys aren't so bad after all. And Lux wants his revenge by trying to kill Count Dooku. That goes about as well as you would expect. Because it's teenage boy versus badass Christopher Lee. Yeah. I mean, basically... Very few people have taken down badass Christopher Lee, and teenage boy is is rarely among them. And and this is part of a of a side story that there was some sort of attempt to give Ahsoka some sort of love interest. It's kind of there. Yeah. 
and she does pretend to be his betrothed just so Lux doesn't get killed by the by Death Watch. What a first meeting between Bo-Katan and Ahsoka, especially how you know that these two are friends later in the series and, uh, you know, later in The Mandalorian where it, you know, like, this is the Jedi that Bo-Katan sends Din Djarin to go see. Yeah, um, definitely with Bo-Katan being on the wrong side of things when they first meet, of course. Yep. Death Watch has taken over this little planet and they've kidnapped the locals and turned them into sort of slave labor. Very abusive to the droids. They use the droids as target practice. Like the droids are just doing their basic functions and Death Watch is just shooting them up for fun. And they, you know, R2 is accompanying Ahsoka because he, he sometimes does that. And they're getting R2 to repair the droids just so they just so Death Watch can shoot them again. And the 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 most heartbreaking moment when the droids see R2 and they're like, help us. Oh. I'm gonna be honest, I did not see this episode the first time around, so this was the first time watching for me. It's it's very hard. And granted. It shows the level of storytelling that this cartoon does, that a monotone robotic voice saying, please help us, is breaking your heart. Well, the thing is, is, like, the the debate over the sentience of droids has been such a long one in the Star Wars fandom. I mean, it was a subplot in Solo. Well, and, I mean, it's... It's been in the in the fandom even more than that because mm-hmm. you know three PO and and R two had such distinct personalities and yet they're treated as property you know and mm-hmm. the fandom very quickly started to go like well but wait are they sentient beings or are they just programmed functions because they definitely seem to have sentience and make decisions and right from the get-go 3PO is is going like well wait we need to follow orders and R2 is going like nope we're going a different way and you know but is he doing that because he's following orders from Leia or because he's choosing that or you know it's always been an interesting question and then of course I think you know when we talked about Andor, we talked about it again about how I think Andor got it just spot on mm-hmm. with how they they treated a Me droid too. as yeah. part of yeah how they how they treated a droid in that one as part of the family and showed grief and you know rebellion as as part of the. Yeah, to the point by the part by the end of the series when B two is getting tr- trampled by the Empire, you're worried for B two. Yeah, and then of course Mandalorian again brings back R five and mm-hmm. talks about his service to the rebellion over the years. Mm-hmm. And here again we see R two making his own decisions, and that's what ends up finally being able to help Ahsoka in this episode. Yeah. Um, was that R2 and these 
these droids that he helps are asserting their own will. They're independent. Um, Especially yeah. after Death Watch burns down the town that they've occupied. The 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 town elder is there, so he give me back my granddaughter. Oh, sure. And we have, you know, Previsla now having a shaved head and a scar because he uh he made Dooku mad. No longer working with Dooku. Yeah. So and you know, yeah, here's your granddaughter back and then kills her with a darksaber. Didn't say he gave her back alive. Vizsla is a POS, and I love the way Favreau plays that character. Yeah, I mean, he's he's an excellent villain, you know. You, mm. but he's he's a villain in the traditional sense of you really have no no feeling for him. When you first hear about the Death Watch, you're like, well, you have a point. But then you meet Previsla, and you're like, but you are jerks. You know, your ancestors probably had a point, but you, sir, you are, lost the plot. <laughs> yeah, are a massive jerk about it. But you know, it is it is the death of that poor local girl that she's like, all right, Ahsoka, you know, end this. Yeah, she and, she, she completely, uh, you know, exposes her identity as a Jedi. Ahsoka's like, oh, right, I can just force push everybody out of my way. <laughs> but they got Jedi-proof weaponry because Mandalorians don't like Jedis. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, with the droid and with the droids and everything, they are able to push Death Watch away. Really, I mean, like I say, this doesn't really add to the Mandalore story, but it really shows how Death Watch has kind of lost their way from their original plot. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, like you know, like they wanted their, their, their original life back, and they just fallen into just being, for lack of a better term, evil. Yes, they are bad guys. This is a show for seven-year-olds. But yeah. And it shows, you know, our, at least uh, in terms of episodes we're watching, showing, you know, how assertive Ahsoka can be. And, you know, the, the the sort of beginnings of what this character will become. And, yeah, I, I really only wanted this episode because it was the first appearance of Bo-Katan. But, yeah, this episode is actually really good and shows, shows what really this show can really be. I just And wish, also how, how far the, the Death Watch has fallen. Yeah. That it's not just an internal conflict with other Mandalorians that they're just going around and being a nuisance, a deadly nuisance to other planets. And it, 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 there's a lot of those, there's a lot of these moments in Clone Wars where you just say, wait, this is a kid show? Yeah. This is a, this is a kid show. That dude just killed this girl in cold blood. This is a kid show. <laughs> Before we get to the next thing, we need to bring up something. We need to talk about something. Somehow Darth Maul returned. Now, this was the thing that made me so mad. Because, like I said, I didn't watch the cartoons. And I went and saw a little movie called Solo. And there's a post credit sequence. And all of a sudden, Darth Maul is at the end of that movie. 
And that made me confused because I was like, when exactly does this movie take place? Because Han Solo is older than Luke and Leia, but he ain't that much older than Luke and Leia. And I came home and I found somebody that had seen the film. And I was like, um, when is this movie supposed to take place? Because Darth Maul, question mark. And they were like, oh, yeah, he came back in the, the cartoon series. And I'm like, stop trying to make those freaking things canon. Darn you, Filoni. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, so let's let's do the quick version of, because we didn't really cover the episodes. Uh, so, yeah, it turns out Darth Maul did not die in The Phantom Menace, even though he got sliced in half. Uh, yeah, apparently he had these teachings from Palpatine to survive such injuries, and his rage for Obi-Wan Kenobi kept him alive, and he ended up escaping on the garbage and ended up on a garbage planet. Where, uh, yeah, also, uh, Darth Maul has a brother named Savage Opress. I mean, there's been enough jokes about that name. Savage Oppressor? Mm-hmm. But, uh, so yeah, he has a brother, and they're reunited, and now, uh, Darth Maul's got himself some robot legs. Cool. And then they're going to try to be gangsters. And they're also going to be the new Sith duo. And uh, they've teamed up with Death Watch. And also al allied themselves with other gangsters in the universe to form this, this, um, this collective that's going to kind of take over. And their first stop is Mandalore. So Sure, that makes a ton of sense. Yes. Star Wars is a place that makes sense. But Maul is smart here. He's keeping himself behind the scenes. In a previous episode, he's already re he's already exposed himself to Obi-Wan. So Obi-Wan knows he's alive. But if, if he's out in the open doing something, then Obi-Wan will come. And he doesn't want that. Not yet, anyway. It's not time. To get his revenge on Obi-Wan. He wants to, to, to amass this little army first. So he's sending some gangsters out to, to wreck Mandalore. He's trying to play he's trying to play Palpatine on a small scale. While Palpatine is doing it on a galaxy level with the Clone Wars. Maul is doing this on one planet. By sending his gangster squad to disrupt things and then sending the Death Watch to come in and act like heroes to, quote, arrest them. Which is solid plan. Again, he's learned from the best. And this is really where Bogatan starts to question Pre Vizsla's leadership. Like, you know, should we really be trusting these gangsters? Should we really be trusting this Sith guy? Should you know we we should be trusting our Mandalorian other Mandalorians? We should be doing this on our own. On some level, she has a point, but she's still not ex all the way there yet. I guess I'm not sure how much they knew about Count Dooku and 
his like force use when they allied with him, but Darth Maul was not really subtle about his force use. So when Death Watch allied with him, it's very obvious that there are a bunch of Mandalorians being like, hey, let's just pal around with a Sith, you know? And of course, in true villain motive and true villain way, both sides are open are already planning to betray the other. Like, you know, Bo-Katan's going to Vizsla, can we trust him? No, we can't trust him, but the soon we, the first opportunity we get, we're going to kill them all. And then Savat said, can we trust Vizsla? Of course not! First chance we'll get, we'll find a new Patsy to be our, our surrogate leader. The face of our, uh, the face of our squad. And as I said, playing the long game, Vizsla gets what he wants. To the people of Mandalore, the Death Watch came in, took care of these gangsters, and in his way showed that Satine's pacifist ways was going to get them killed. So it's the way of the warrior that's keeping them safe, and they should put Vizsla in charge and go back to their ways of warriors, which the people of Mandalore seem to enjoy. Uh, rather, I don't know if it's because they agree that they should go back to being warriors or because Vizsla and his squad just saved their butts. Yeah, I mean, it it is kind of interesting because I'm not sure if all of the people want to be warriors themselves or if they just want there to be warriors. That, to me, it, it seems like a lot of people are happy just kind of chilling you know mm -hmm. but i think that a lot of people and, and you can kind of just look around in the world i think a lot of people do want to look at the quote-unquote strongman mm -hmm. figure and be like yes keep us keep us safe from things that are scary and i think that that's what pre Vizsla was counting on. Mm -hmm. You know, let's let's give you a, a villain to be scared of, you know, this this crime syndicate. Even though it was a play, basically. Yeah. You know, we, we see behind the scenes of it, we see that Darth Maul and all of his little lackeys just come in and be like Ah, give us the money, see? You know, like, they're, they're doing their whole, like, 30s gangster thing. It's a really funny scene. I actually really like it. Even Savage takes a die for Vizsla. Yeah, and it's it's very planned, you know, that you, you see them, they're doing it like a choreographed wrestling routine. Yeah. You know, he's actually calling, like, you know, okay, throw, spots. throw me, yeah, they're calling spots. They're like, throw, throw me over there. Somebody's looking, punch me now, you know, that kind of thing. Um, as the Mandalorians come in, as the Death Watch come come in uh, to to save them, you know, you see the, the syndicate being like, you know, oh, they're here, you know, make it look good. You know, they put them in jail and you see uh, Maul and his brother being like, you know, okay, you know, how long before we just walk out of here because they know they can escape at any time? Um, who should we install as the leader? And 
I mean, it's it's all it's all uh it's all a, a front, you know. It's yeah. it's just kayfabe for the the rubes, you know. <laughs> and they they choose Almec, a character we haven't talked about this yet. Almec was the prime minister under Satine. And again, we didn't talk about the episode, but uh, in another episode, uh, Satine's insistence on Mandalore being a neutral system means that neither side are willing to trade goods with her, which leads to Almec going on the black market to find supplies and food and other things that for the Mandalorian people, to which uh, some of that good is tainted because it's black market stuff. And Satine ends up putting Almec in jail because, hey, you you risk the health of my people. Which Almec is defending. Hey, hey, because of your insistence on keeping this planet neutral, I did what I can to help our people. It wasn't my fault the goods were tainted. Yeah, black market, not really big on regulation. Satine accidentally spills the beans. Oh, yeah, you don't want me. The guy you want is Almec. He's a POS just like you guys. <laughs> Thank you, Duchess, for your cooperation. And it turns out, you know, she she calls that correctly. He he is, in fact, a POS. Like, he he is immediately like, oh, yeah, you want you want me to, to do whatever you want just to get out of the jail cell? Yeah, I will absolutely be your patsy. Go ahead. I will be a puppet prime minister for you. But also gives Maul a crash course on the Mandalorian culture. Is that Death Watch will keep following Vizsla as long as he has the Darksaber. The only way to get it is to challenge him in combat. It's, this is the first instance of the only way the Darksaber can pass is, by th is through combat. Yeah. And... and it it's a Darth Maul's like, wait a minute, I am a trained force user who knows how to use a lightsaber. That guy is just a dude who picked up a lightsaber one day. I got this. <laughs> and it's a great moment. He goes, I challenge you, warrior to warrior. Like, he's making it look good. It's like, it is pretty much a wrestling promo. Well, the thing is, is if he just walks up and is like, hey, punk, fight me. It's not really a challenge, you know? It's mm -hmm. just you picking a fight like a, you know, douchebag. But if it's a formal challenge for leadership, then nobody else can step in. You know, if he just walked up and punched him, then the Death Watch can intervene. Mm. But if he's like, no, 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 I am issuing you a formal challenge for leadership... Then there are rules. Then it's you know for mono as much yeah, yeah for as much of a a for as much as a douchebag that Pre Vizsla is, there is some sense of honor, at least honor for the Mandalorian culture. Well, it's not just Vizsla. I mean. Vizsla could be like, you know, hey, I won't, I won't fight you. I mean, it wouldn't turn out well for him, mm. but it's uh, how many other people would come to his aid. True. You know, if he just, if, if Maul just comes in there swinging like, hey, I want your head, then everybody else is honor bound to protect their leader. 
But if Maul comes in there and is like, I don't think you're a good leader. I think you're weak. I challenge you for leadership. Then the second that that one's issued, everybody else has to step aside and they can't protect their leader anymore. Yeah. Then he's only got to deal with the one guy. One thing I will give much, much credit to Clone Wars, not just their storytelling, but their fight scenes. Like, a lot of these are motion-captured fight scenes, and they're really good. Yeah, there's actually one one point, I forget exactly where it is, but there's one point in one of the fight scenes where Bo-Katan does, like, a perfect scorpion kick, and then, like, snaps a dude's neck with her thigh. Or, like, the back of her knee or something. And I was like, oh, crap. That that was really well animated. <laughs> that was, like, Trinity in the Matrix level executed on that. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know what they were what they were basing that animation off of, like if that was motion capture of like a really good stunt woman, or if they just literally like drew over a bit of Carrie Ann Moss in the Matrix. But like <laughs> that was some top notch uh fight move in one of the episodes we watched with one of the Bo Katan fight scenes. I was like, oh, I kinda I kind of want to see that again. Like, put Katie Sackhoff or Stunt Double doing that that crap in, in one of the next seasons, please. Because, wow. And say what you will about Vizsla. He accepted his defeat. He accepted his death. He didn't cower. He didn't beg. He said, let the strongest, let the strongest rule. Now, whether that's an honor thing or whether that's a more of a... a cult-like mentality to the Mandalorian religion is up to you. Or whether he wanted to be like, well, I got a kid back home and I want them to tell him I died honorably or something, you know? And the animation is, granted, the slice of the Darksaber through his head, they pass behind Bo-Katan, but that head is gone. Yeah, you hear the slice, you hear the thunk, you don't actually see the head. It's amazing to me how many dismemberments or beheadings there are in this cartoon. For like you never that, yeah. cartoon for children that aired on Cartoon Network. Yeah, this like weird little Y7 cartoon or whatever. Um but there's another in one of the episodes we watched where like a stormtrooper gets his arm cut off by a closing door and you don't actually see the point of you know severing but you do see the arm fall to the floor (laughs) limp and you're like oh that's weirdly gruesome for a children's show yeah (laughs) also what is it about star wars and arms star wars does not like people's arms or hands Everyone loses an arm in Star Wars. And yeah, Death Watch immediately follows Maul because that is the way of Mandalore. He is well, the ruler. Not, not all of them. I mean, Bo-Katan, Bo- and her, Bo-Katan and most of the women in Death Watch do not follow. There's a few men, but it's mostly the women and, and Bo-Katan that do not see Maul as their leader because he is an outsider. 
He is not Mandalorian. Yeah, he's, I mean, there, there are two ways to be a, a Mandalorian. You can be born into it or you can be a foundling raised by Creed. Darth Maul is none of them. He does not wear the armor. He has not taken the creed. He's just a guy who challenged and took the sword. I mean, I think they would, I think Bo-Katan also would have unfortunately followed had he come in and taken the creed and put on some armor and lived with Death Watch for a little bit and then challenged. Possible. But it's mostly yeah, it's her 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 grievances is that Maul is an outsider. He is a non Mandalorian sitting on the throne. Yeah. Quite literally. He is literally sitting on the throne while Almec is the figurehead le- uh leader. Do we even want to do we even want to talk about the the passing on of the the dark saber. Okay, okay, okay. I've been I, I want I wanted to say this for later, but we got to talk about this. Okay, so they say the only the true uh, the only way to win the dark saber is through combat, right? Okay. So obviously, the 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 dark saber has been passed through the Visa clan for who knows how long. They got it from the first. It passed to them from the first Mandalorian Jedi. Fine, cool. It ends up in Darth Maul's hands. Who defeats Darth Maul? Palpatine. Right? Immediately after this, who defeats Palpatine? I'm going to give you a second. To, I mean... Well, I, I mean, it's it's technically Vader. No. Mace Windu. And who defeats and who literally disarms Mace Windu right after that? Anakin Skywalker. And who eventually defeats Anakin Skywalker not long after that? Obi Wan Kenobi. And who eventually defeats Obi Wan Kenobi? Darth Vader. Who eventually defeats Darth Vader? Luke Skywalker. Who eventually disarms Luke Skywalker? Ben Solo. Who eventually defeats Ben Solo as Kylo Ren. Ray. Come at me, fanboys. <laughs> well, Tell me I'm wrong, fanboys. Tell me I'm wrong. Yeah, the the thing is, though, is that the way that the Bo-Katan first got a hold of the Darksaber was that her sister gave it to her. Technically, no. Okay, so after this, okay, after all of this, we're we're getting into Rebels at this point. Because even though he was defeated, uh, Maul still keeps the Darksaber. The Darksaber is quite literally stolen from his lair by Sabine Wren in Rebels. And then given to Bo-Katan. Who then loses it to Moff Gideon. Who then loses it to Din Djarin. And then Din Djarin hands it, season three spoiler, to Bo-Katan. See, I kept reading Sabine gave it to her, and I kept thinking that was her sister Satine. Ah. Make your names more uh, namey so that I don't get them confused, Star Wars. I mean, it's a one-letter difference, so I get it. And also, I don't know who the hell Sabine is, so... 
We're going to have um, to do a Rebels episode at some point. The, um, yeah. So anyway, I just, I just read like when they were like, uh, you know, it has to be won in battle and everybody was going like, well, Bo-Katan never won it in battle. Some chick just handed it to her. And um, many, I mean, in, in outside other books and even in the, in the, in the Mandalorian itself, they say that because she did not win it in battle, that her rule was tainted, which was well, le- also which- like, how did all the Vizslas get it? Because it kept saying like they just handed it down to like, so like when some like dad got old, did he just pick his like eldest son and be like, fight I, me? I think it was like, like yeah, <laughs> I held it, to, I held it to death. Therefore, by blood, it goes to my son. And then he held it till death, and then it went to his son, and so on and but so forth. But that's not winning it by combat, so why was any of their rule legitimate? Uh, no one said they couldn't be hypocrites. <laughs> um, but but I, the but... thing is, is, like, everybody got mad at, like, you know, oh, by the commutative property of lightsabers, Bo-Katan now has the lightsaber again, because, like, Somebody punched Din Djarin and she punched that somebody and now she's got the lightsaber. And I'm like, that makes more sense than some random chick handed it to me and now I'm the ruler of Mandalore. Yeah. Like, random chicks handing you a sword ain't really a basis for government, Bo-Katan. But I must say, the amount of references in these episodes to the movies, two of them specifically in the in, in this episode, the episode that follows it, is Satine sending the message to Obi-Wan, essentially saying, you're my only hope. And then Maul saying, I feel, I have a feeling, a feeling I haven't felt since. Yeah, and it's Palpatine instead of, yeah, I love that. So, of course, Obi-Wan is going to go save his girl. Yeah. I mean, if I had a nickel for every time a character once played by Ewan McGregor fell in love with some chick named Satine who eventually dies in his arms, I'd have two nickels, which isn't a lot, but it's weird that it happened twice. And, of course, another reference is... Is Obi-Wan jumping the Maul DeLorean, as I call him, and taking his armor. Because I love that Death Watch has taken Maul's colors as their own. Yeah. Even putting horns on their helmets. It, it, is, it is true. The thing is, is I love that kind of this offshoot of them has stopped being Death Watch by the time of the Mandalorian and is just the Watch. Mm-hmm. Children of the Watch. <laughs> yeah. Once Bo-Katan breaks away with the Maul-led Death Watch, we finally get this kind of full-on Mandalorian civil war, because now Bo-Katan's like, well, I guess I should make up with my sister, which, if I'd have known that earlier, this probably would have stopped a lot of crap, you know? Mm-hmm. Which, maybe you should thought about that earlier. Now we've got the the thing where Obi-Wan has heard, like, uh-oh, Satine's in trouble, 
And he's like, hey, Jedi Council, the Mandalore is devolved into civil war. Maybe we should go help. And the Jedi are like, yeah, but that'd be like work. And we're not really into that. And also, we are like the biggest douchebags in the galaxy. So, nah. They're neutral. Screw them. Yeah. I mean, the Jedi are just like. Not the worst, because there are fascists in this galaxy, so those are the worst, but the Jedi are, like, a really close second. That, I mean, again, to go back to Mando Season 3, that's is kind of the New Republic. It's like, we could, but that sounds like work. We're not going to do that. Yeah. So, Obi-Wan's like, screw you guys, I'm going to get my girl, and he does that. Which is exactly what Maul wants. Yeah, and it doesn't really work out for him because he's like, oh crap, Darth Maul. And Darth Maul's like, oh, do you want this girl? Stab. And I love how he says it to him. He's like, I never planned on killing you. But like, yeah. feel like, like his plan was to kill Satine in hopes of turning Obi-Wan to the dark side. I mean, that don't work out for Darth Maul either, but and it, it does make Obi-Wan very, very sad. And, you know, like, like, like that, 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 that last moment, her, her final, Satine's final words, I love you, Obi-Wan, and I always have. You know, if you just said that 10 years ago, 20 years ago, we wouldn't be in this situation, Satine. Yeah. Um, but also she's like, uh, find my sister. And he's like, you got a sister? Like, all these years you never told me you had a sister? Well, she's yeah. part of Death Watch, so I didn't, really want, I didn't really want to talk about it. Yeah. And I do like, as all of this is going on, Palpatine is feeling it through the Force. Ah, I'm all still alive. Oh, he's gunning for my spot, is he? Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna nip that in the bud right now. Yeah, that uh, that brings us to this two seasons I, later. <laughs> oh, I, I, I do want to talk about this. Uh, I mean, we talked about the fight scene, but the epic fight oh. scene between the brothers and Palpatine. Oh, yeah. Palpatine using two lightsabers now. We never saw that in the movies. Like, like, well, he is fighting two brothers, so true. But it's maybe like, it helps. It's like it shows that Palpatine is a lot more powerful than we ever saw him previously. Like even in the movies, he was kind of a flip. He's doing the flippy stuff, and he's kind of a badass. And here, he's like, it's the two brothers are not even a challenge for him. And he, you know, like I'm not. He's and much like what Maul did to Obi Wan, he says, "I'm not going to kill you." And then kills his brother. R.I.P. Savage Press. We barely knew ye. Yeah, you weren't very interesting. Bye. We did, we, we did skip his entire storyline up to this point. So, but uh, again, we might come back to that. We might not. Clancy Brown does death scenes very well. Clancy Brown did a great job at Savage Press and his death scene. Holding his brother's hand, says, I'm sorry I couldn't be like you. He just wanted to impress his brother. Wow, mm. you want to know how boring this character was in the episodes that I watched? 
I didn't, didn't even realize that was Clancy Brown. Again, we did skip his entire storyline for this. So Yeah, but I didn't even realize that was Clancy Brown. Do you know how badly I feel about that? Clancy Brown has a very distinctive voice, but sure. Exactly, but that's 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 how boring and little he had to do in these episodes. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, so yeah, Palpatine just takes down Maul with no question. Takes him down, electrocutes him, saying he's not going to kill him. He's got other uses for him. Unfortunately, the show was canceled before we could actually see what was going on. As Cartoon Network had canceled the show because Disney bought Lucasfilm and Cartoon Network was not going to air a Disney show on their network. So the rest of Maul's story... Cartoon Network canceling shows for no good reason? Say, it ain't so... So, the rest of Maul's story is told through the comic books. And um, I'll I'll give the short version, and you probably could guess it. Uh, Palpatine captures Maul, torches him, and then Death Watch comes and rescues him, and he's back on Mandalore. There's a bunch of other stuff I'm not getting into, but I need to... But we, uh, this podcast is long enough as it is. So, we are skipping all the way to the Disney Plus season, the final season, season seven... And we are, and uh, this is where poop gets real because we are now in the events of Revenge of the Sith. In fact, this episode takes place minutes, minutes before the events of Revenge of the Sith. Because as as Ahsoka is trying to get Anakin and Obi Wan's help to liberate Mandalore, because Maul's back. Oh no, General Grievous has attacked Coruscant and kidnapped Chancellor Palpatine. I'm sure that will turn out very well. I'm sure nothing bad will happen in all of that. Nope. As Obi-Wan and Anakin are going to do that. But I must say, the opening scene here... With Anakin and Obi-Wan fighting the droids. This is kind of like the Anakin Skywalker I've always wanted to see. He's kind of what a lot of people see Luke Skywalker as. As this badass fighter leader kind of guy. And I do like he's kind of the smart Alec. Like, like if Anakin had acted like this in the prequels, I would have liked the prequels more. No disrespect to Hayden Christensen. It's not his fault. George Lucas just didn't know how to write for the character. Yeah. But it's a it's a nice fight scene. And it's also the the every episode of the Clone Wars begins with a recap scene. And the fact that the recap scene is animating scenes from Revenge of the Sith. Which uh I did not really see on Disney Plus. You didn't see the recap? Yeah, when it got to when it got to season seven, it didn't show me the recaps when I when I turned on the, the season seven episodes. It just kind of started with a somber blank screen. Hmm. Weird. So yeah. I saw the I mean when I saw the episode you see the the old school Lucasfilm logo. Mwah, nice. You get the classic Star Wars music instead of the militarized version for the Clone Wars. 
And then you get this recap of scenes, and you get, like, you see Plo Koon in his jet fighter from Revenge of the Sith. You see, ah, I forget her name, the blue Twi'lek Jedi with her guards from that part of Revenge of the Sith. And it's like, it's like, it's telling you where you are. It's telling you where you are in the story. And then you get this scene with Anakin and Obi-Wan fighting this droid army. And the, at this point, Ahsoka has left the Jedi Temple. We might get to that story. It's a really good one. But, but at this point, Anakin has not seen Ahsoka in many years. And to see her now standing alongside Bo-Katan saying hey Maul's back and we need your help this is really the last time these characters are going to see each other and if you've been watching the series this entire time this is a big moment now granted for you you're not feeling that moment Kiki because you're this is a all a first time view for you yeah but, but I mean you know that like if if you know the movies of course you know that like this is not going to end well for anybody yeah, this is not going to end well. And then you have this moment where Ahsoka is trying to get her friends, her, for lack of a better term, her surrogate brothers, to help her. Now, she grew up with these two, with these two men training her, teaching them everything that they know. These two men are her brothers. And she's asking them for help, and they're saying, yeah, we, we can't get involved. Because we cannot get involved in the Mandalorian Civil War because we're too busy fighting a war of our own. Which is kind of heartbreaking to Ahsoka. It's like, hey, I thought, I thought you were my boys. And you're playing politics so you don't have to get involved. Even, um, I believe it's Bo who brings up Satine. Hey, I thought my sister meant something to you. Which, on one hand, is kind of a low blow. But it's a low blow she has to make just to hammer it into to Obi-Wan. That how important this is. But, yeah, and Ahsoka, she has fought along these clones for all of these years. And for that door to open and for the clone troopers to change the colors of their armor... To her colors. It's mirroring what we saw before. With. Death Watch changing their colors. To Maul's colors. The clone troopers changing their colors. To Ahsoka's colors. Yeah that was a pretty. Impactful scene. Especially when you know. That in just a matter of hours. These clone troopers are going to try to kill Ahsoka, wearing her colors. Order 66. Yeah. So it's, it's like it's like you're watching this one, and that's going to be in the back of your mind. The events of episode three are happening as these episodes are taking place. So as much as this reunion would be very heartfelt for longtime viewers of the series... There's that not there's that thought in your head. These people are going to try and kill her in just a few hours. So Anakin, you know, they made the call, they split up their troops, they send a troop with Ahsoka to Mandalore to settle down this civil war. 
they Maul planned on a Jedi coming to Mandalore, just not this Jedi. Yeah. He thought it would be Anakin or Obi-Wan. Yeah. Almuck even says, you were, Almuck even says to Bogotan, we thought you would bring a Jedi, you just brought the wrong one. I mean, Maul was really hoping for Obi-Wan. Of course, he wants his final revenge. But he also wanted Anakin because he knew the plan. The plan was to make Anakin Palpatine's apprentice. And when Maul finally tells Ahsoka that plan, she can't believe it. I know Anakin. She has known Anakin since she was a child. So she cannot fathom in his in her mind that Anakin would ever side with Palpatine, would ever side with, not necessarily Palpatine, Darth Sidious. They never say that, again, because they don't know that yet. As far as the yeah. story concerned, they know Darth Sidious. She can't imagine him falling to the dark side. Yeah. Which makes Anakin's fall all that more tragic, which is something that the Clone Wars series did add to it, of building up Anakin as a great hero for that big fall by the time we get to episode three. It's pro- This is probably the best fight scene I've seen in the few episodes I've seen of, of, of Clone Wars, the fight scene between Maul and Ahsoka. Yeah, because eventually they're they're in the the domed city. Mm. They're on Mandalore and they're up in the kind of rafters that keep the the bubble up. And that is a really beautiful sequence of the two of them balancing on the rafters. And here, I mean, here is a nice note here. The motion capture for that fight between Maul and Ahsoka is done by Ray Park, the actor that played Maul in the movie, in the, in uh, in episode one. So I mean, Ray, he is he is just brilliant. Yeah, I adore Ray Park. So you essentially have both Mauls in the in one scene. You have Sam Whitaker, who does it for the voice for the for the cartoon. And it's Ray Park's movements, which is a nice combination. Yeah, I I just love how Maul gets more unhinged during that scene Mm -hmm. as he's trying to get on his escape ship and get away from Mandalore. Because he knows what's going to happen. He knows what's going to happen to everybody because he's been with Palpatine that long. And he wants to get away from everything before Order 66 is called. And He fight... doesn't want to be mistaken for a Jedi. Yeah. And when Ahsoka finally knocks him off and saves him, because you know, there's that nice little quote from the from the beginning of the uh, uh, from, the, from the first part of the of this episode, where Maul said, where Obi Wan says, "I killed Darth Maul once. Best you capture him. He doesn't like to stay dead." And but I the, love her just force holding him in the in midair, where he can't get away, and he's like begging her to let him fall. Yeah. Let me fall. And, let me let me die. Because he knows what's going. He's, he knows what's going to happen. 
He's tr- he's in those final moments. He is literally trying to warn everybody. You don't know what's about to happen. I'd rather be dead than live through what's about to happen. And, you know, all all Ahsoka can do at that moment is just look up and worry. What's happening to Anakin? What's happening to Obi-Wan? And that is, unfortunately, right now, that is where we're going to end the story. Yes, there are two more parts to this, but they don't really have anything to do with the Mandalorian story. I know, folks, you're kind of, hey, you got to talk about the other two parts. Maybe we'll get to them one day. But as f- that is, that's kind of where we're going to end our viewing of Clone Wars for the time being. So, Kiki, as someone who never really got into the show, someone who kind of disregarded the show for years, what was your takeaway from these six episodes that we watched? I mean, the writing and the voice acting was really good. The animation style is still really, really off-putting to me. And the fact that it's really hard for me to keep track of some of the characters and who they're supposed to be. Mm -hmm. I I do think that some of the stories are worthy additions. But honestly, the characters that have shown up from this in other media i kind of like them better in the other media fair enough um so i'm glad bo-katan's storyline gets to continue in the mandalorian i'm glad ahsoka's story is going to continue in her own show you know Mm -hmm. i'm glad boba fett got some redemption after whatever they did to him in the episodes i didn't see Mm -hmm. Maybe we needed Filoni to have this as his starter series so we could get the the other ones. Mm. I I don't know. I I might eventually go and binge the entire series. It's a lot, seven seasons. Yeah, but they're really short episodes. Mm. But I'm not sure it's going to go down as like my favorite thing. Mm. With Star Wars. But it's also not as bad as I worried it would be. Mm. I agree with you. I'm still not I'm still not a fan of the art style, even all these years later. But to me, the writing supersedes that. Like for a and, and I, we said it before, for a show aimed at seven year olds that aired on Cartoon Network. This show pushed a lot of boundaries and did stuff that you wouldn't expect in a show of this of this type of this era. Because we're talking, you know, late 2000s, early 2010s for a show like this in a, you know, this show predates shows like Adventure Time and Steven Universe. And it was because of this show that the shows like that could exist. That it showed that young children 
not only can watch serialized media, but can understand it and follow it and love it. That led to other shows. Show, you know, you know, your Gravity Falls, your Owl House, you know, all stuff, you know, those shows probably would not even be entertained if it wasn't for Clone Wars. George Lucas and Dave Filoni just saying, hey, this is the show we're going to make. And we're going to have it this way. So for that, I do. I do give it credit that at least to me, the writing supersedes the animation. Yeah, and I I do think the writing is definitely the best part of it. Mm -hmm. Closely, closely followed by the the voice acting because the the voice work was very well done. And then those sweet, sweet fight scenes. So bravo to whoever put together those fight scenes because, yeah, just bravo. Mm-hmm. I want to know, Jared, do you, do you think this has the magic? I think so. Like I said, I, I disregarded this show like, like, like you did. And I, I regret that. I wish that I was watching this as it aired. I wish that I was on the bandwagon. When it came on, because I think I would have had the same feelings that many did have as, you know, there are times where these episodes end and like, what's the next part? What's going to happen? Oh, I'm streaming this. I can just get to the next episode now. But to have that feeling in 2008, 2009, when you didn't have that, where you had to wait till the next week to see the next part of the story. And yeah, animation style aside, the writing is really good. And yeah, I think this show has the magic. And it paved the way to what we're getting now with the Star Wars shows. You? Yeah, I I think I think I'll agree with you. I'm not like totally sold on it. It's not gonna be my my next big thing. But I definitely did enjoy it more than I thought I would. So yeah, I'll say there's magic there. All right. Are you at least open to consideration of coming back to this in a few months? Yeah, I, I would I would definitely be be open to revisiting this or you know Rebels something or... like Rebels in the yeah. in the future. All right, so uh, yeah, we 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 will come back to this at some point before Ahsoka. Let's let's just say that sometime before the Ahsoka show premieres, we'll probably come back to this but as for next week next week uh in honor of the upcoming last ride that is guardian of the galaxy volume three we are going back to guardians of the galaxy one the first movie in the guardians franchise and uh we will see uh where it all started and speculate on where it's gonna end yep can't wait so, yeah, get your Walkmans and whatnot and your talking trees and your talking raccoons. Yeah. And uh, come back for Guardians of the Galaxy 1, and we will talk to you all next time. Bye. Bye. Don't let the magic stop here. Join our conversation online on Facebook at Rewatching the Magic. Twitter at Rewatch the Magic. And, of course... New episodes every week at rewatchingthemagic.podbean.com. 
Remember, the magic is for everyone. It only stops if you let it. Podcasts are fun. But there's work to be done. We encourage you to get involved. Here are some organizations we support. The American Civil Liberties Union fights for the constitutional rights of all Americans. Find them at ACLU.org. The National Network of Abortion Funds helps people find access to safe abortion services. Their site is abortionfunds.org. The Trevor Project provides a 24-7 crisis helpline for LGBTQ youth and education services for schools on LGBTQ issues. They can be found at thetrevorproject.org. Or find a way to help in your area.